Welcome to Commerce Growth Lab, the community for commerce strategies and tactics. I'm your host, Franco Variano. This season, the podcast focuses on speaking with some of the most interesting and successful trendsetters, entrepreneurs, and leaders in commerce. Together, we'll dive into their unique stories, experience their highs and lows, and gain from their insights and experiences as they continue to shape this industry. I feel like it's like the standard way to run a business. And I feel like the convenience of having an automated business online is just having a one-click button to process orders. Today, we're chatting with Nicole Martins Ferreira, the co-founder of Galleon and a content marketer at Oberlo. Nicole joins us to share her story and talk all things dropshipping. Nicole shares her insights from her early days as an Amazon affiliate, to launching a network of e-commerce stores, to writing over 80 blogs for Oberlo, and much more. So let's get started. Hey, Nicole, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Very excited to have you on and to get to chat, you know, all things dropshipping. But before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Where are you from and what did you study? I currently live in Toronto. I just moved here about a year ago and uh, it feels like home. I'm from the suburbs and I think like the city life is kind of more my my alley. I started working in e-commerce about five years ago, but before that I went to school for philosophy at McMaster University and a lot of people said that was kind of like a joke program like one of those you know useless degrees but I actually like I actually use philosophy like every day critical thinking making logical decisions looking at contracts and so it actually turned out to be like one of the most useful degrees I could have ever gotten and I wasn't a very good student though if I'm being completely honest I was pretty much like a C student like I wasn't the best philosophy major but after I graduated I decided to do uh, a postgrad in PR all of a sudden, like I started doing really well in school. I found I had like a natural knack for it. I just, I don't know, it kind of made sense for me. So I, I kind of realized I was more of a marketer. That's really cool. And so you kind of mentioned how your postgrad studies led to your interest in marketing. But where did your passion for startups and specifically e-commerce really come from? Well, actually, I guess I didn't mention this. When I was in university, I spent all my time doing extracurriculars in marketing. So I had a side job, like a part-time job on campus where I was a marketing assistant and uh, I joined a lot of clubs and I was like VP social and VP communications. And I kind of spent all my time focusing on extracurriculars. And that's part of the reason why I was such a bad student anyways, because I spent all my time with my hobbies instead of pursuing school. And so I think that's kind of what led to the marketing aspect. Like I kind of realized, hey, maybe there's something to this. If I keep doing this for fun, maybe it's because I actually have a natural knack for it and I have a passion for it. And so that's kind of how that developed. That's very cool. So how did that side hustle lead to the start of your career or first startup? And what were some of the biggest lessons you learned from that phase of your career? So one of my first marketing jobs that were full-time, I was a marketing coordinator for this manufacturing company. When I think back on it, like at the time, I remember thinking I was like at a, like I wasn't growing, I was at a dead end job, but it actually like was my gateway into e-commerce. And at the company, it was very old school. We didn't have email lists. I had to basically like build an email list in an Excel spreadsheet and manually email people with my Gmail account. So it was very old school. 
that's kind of like how I started doing like a little bit of marketing. But I noticed that like I wasn't really growing at the company. But right before I quit, I was selling products on Amazon for the company. I was selling sunscreen online. And I realized I love selling online. And so I quit to become an entrepreneur. And at that time, I started building Amazon stores and I was an Amazon affiliate. So I basically create these e-commerce stores selling Amazon products as an affiliate. And it was like the best time of my life. I was just having so much fun building stores. I realized like I always loved building stores. Like even when I was a kid, I used to build like little blogs and stuff like that. And I just saw everything start coming together. And I was just like that, like aha moment where you realize you're doing what you really want to be doing. Amazing. So how did you get into that? I mean, I'm sure it's changed a bunch, but what was the process like back then? So one of the biggest mistakes I made back then was I built like four stores at the same time. And I think a lot of people do that. They get so excited. They're like, I'm just going to build a million stores and like I had like a ton of products. And at one point I had 600 products that I had imported to my store that I had to write copy for. And I spent all this time trying to like add products and design my store and make it look pretty that I didn't end up doing any of the marketing. And that's one of the reasons why I ended up going back to the nine to five after because my business had completely failed because I wasn't actually marketing. And that was like the most important part of running a business, like the marketing, getting sales. And yeah, I was just like building all these stores at once. I was trying to add all these products at once. I found that like in the end though, like one of the things that I learned from this was I actually was really good at SEO. So some of the product descriptions that I had been writing at the time were actually ranking in Google. And so I learned that like, I did have like little skills that were like building up, but I didn't ramp up fast enough to really like drive home those sales that first six months. And so within six months, I had to go back to the nine to five. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So were these stores super niche or what were some of the tactics you adopted for that space? So the stores were niche. I had like a board game store, a bridal store and a home decor store. And the most successful out of those stores were um, the home decor store. I think it's just because it was a certain more of a search based kind of product store. And it was just like there's so much more variety of products. And I was running blogs on the, the stores as well. So I had like a lot going on for them. Overall, it was niche stores that worked really well for me. So from that first experience and then going back to the nine to five, you were then a content marketer at Rogers. Can you tell us more about that experience? Because it was specifically for the shopping channel, right? Yeah, it was for the shopping channel. It was, I think I struggled with that role a lot, not because like it was a bad role, but because my business had failed and it was very hard for me to adjust to the nine to five. I basically spent that year and a bit trying to get out of debt, paying off my student loans, learning some new tricks. So I did a lot of Photoshop at the time, you know, that came in handy, like even now, like designing logos or working on stuff for your store, like little graphics that you want to do for social media. So it all comes together. Like at the time you think that you're on the wrong path, but those little skills that you learn along the way end up building up on each other. You realize down the road that you really needed that time to learn that skill or you need that time to be away from entrepreneurship. So I wouldn't discredit that. So after I saved up enough money to pay off my debts and buy a home, I quit my job at Rogers and I went back to entrepreneurship. Yeah, absolutely. Very well said about picking up all those little skills and honing your craft before going at it all again. And so what was it at that point, once you had done those personal things that pushed you back into it? And what did you do? At that time, I felt like for me, like, I think I'm more of an entrepreneur. And so for me, I kind of felt like trapped and suffocated, like I wasn't growing, I wasn't doing what I wanted to be doing. And so I think I always had that little gut feeling that, you know, this was like a temporary situation for me, and that it wasn't going to be a long term play. When I quit, I didn't really have a plan. I knew I wanted to go build stores again, but I wanted a safety net. And so I, I saw some freelance opportunities on ProBlogger, and I saw an opportunity on Oberlo. 
And I was like, hey, you know, I build online stores. I'm currently building an overload store. Maybe this is the right fit for me. Like maybe I could do some freelancing on the side while building stores. And that way, like I get to help people along the way, but I'm also doing what I want to do. So I have a stream of income that makes gives me that safety net, but I still have the freedom to be an entrepreneur and live life on my own terms. That totally makes sense. So you took that freelance e-commerce content marketing business and transformed it into another company, which is a network of e-commerce stores called Galleon. Can you tell us more about that and what motivated you to launch it? So Galleon is a business that I built with my partner. And, you know, we just, we wanted to build like a network of e-commerce stores. And so we just build stores in different niches, fitness and stuff like that. It was kind of like the Amazon affiliate business that I had, but instead of doing Amazon affiliates, it was uh, overload stores. It had a higher Amazon affiliates. It's kind of like low margins because you're you're getting a commission of sales and with Oberlo you're getting you're controlling how much you set the prices for so this time it was kind of like the similar structure but it was like different profitability and it was easier to scale the businesses and run the businesses full-time yeah we just like we build stores regularly and I'm currently working on a, a new store right now just like building it up for our brand and uh, trying to get some more sales for our business that's amazing and I totally want to come back to explore that a little bit more but you've mentioned Oberlo a few times and while I'm sure tons of folks have heard about it, just in case, can you tell us what it's all about? Yeah, so Oberlo is a dropshipping app on Shopify, and essentially it allows you to import products online for your store. So say you, like, you, want, you have a store idea and you want to sell something, but you don't know what to sell. Oberlo is the app where you can find the products to sell. So you can find products through their app on Oberlo Supply, and uh, you can just import any product you'd like. And you can start selling the same day that you uh, build your store. So it gives you that like quick access to products to sell online, which makes it really easy for new entrepreneurs who are who don't want to buy products from Alibaba or who don't want to find a supplier. It just kind of like makes it easier for you to find products online to sell. Very cool. And so coming back to something you said a, a few moments ago about building a brand and doing the marketing, what's your approach to marketing and building an e-commerce brand? As I build more stores, the thing that I'm starting to realize is that like content, like content marketing plays such a huge role, especially in e-commerce. Like a lot of people think that content marketing is kind of like a business to business kind of game where e-commerce stores can't really do like content marketing. But the reality is like we're seeing a lot more brands build blogs. And I found that like for my stores, I've had the lowest ad costs just by doing blogging. So like, for example, I might write a blog post. And one of the blog posts that I did was I created a list of like influencers in my niche and like shouted out to them on uh, Twitter. And I was like, hey, you were featured in this article for top quotes that you said and stuff like that. And they'd share it with their audience. And since their audience was in my niche, I'd have a retargeting ad running. And that ad would end up being like a nine time ROI just because one, the audience was targeted. And two, I was retargeting an audience that visited a blog post rather than a product page, which kept my like acquisition costs really low. And uh, I found that like that worked really well for me. When it comes to like marketing your store, it's like it's so important. And yet a lot of people get caught up in the design process. And I find that like whether you're running Facebook ads or you're doing SEO or you're doing a combination of content marketing and advertising and social media and all that stuff, like you really need to focus on just like doing that outreach because it's not going to bring you sales just by designing your store, or by making it look pretty or focusing on the brand. Because a lot of times some of the, the most successful stores, their stores don't look very good. The reality is it's not about how good your store looks. It's about how well your store converts. If you're focusing on marketing, you have a better chance of converting than if uh, you're spending all your time designing your store. Yeah, absolutely. And so on the topic of blogging, do you have any insights about content marketing for e-commerce? I know you just mentioned a few, but is there a formula that you use for thinking about what types of content to write about? 
I think that the biggest success from content marketing at Oberlo has been just from consistency. And I know that sounds really basic, but it's actually like one of the most powerful things that people really underestimate. I've written about 80 blog posts on the Oberlo blog, and then I, I launched an ebook, which is about 50 mini blog posts in one ebook. So that's like about like 130 pages of content. When you have all that content together, like over the long term, like that's going to add up and you're going to start ranking in search engines and you're going to start performing really well. And I think if people just like stuck with it with the long haul consistently every day, like doing a little bit of content or doing a little bit of Facebook ads or doing a little bit of anything, like over the long term, those little bits add up to something like greater than you could ever imagine. People really underestimate that. People really underestimate how important it is to pump out content every week and how important it is to post on social media every day and all those little things together. Yeah, I completely agree. A lot of people are just looking for the silver bullet, but you got to show up every day and do the work. So you mentioned the ebook, which we'll link to so other people can check it out. But what was the process of writing it like? How did you guys approach marketing it? We launched the ebook in December and it's called 50 Ways to Get Sales with Dropshipping. And it's basically like this mega guide on everything that I've learned about dropshipping with Oberlo and with e-commerce over the past few years, all my marketing tactics in one guide. Writing it took a long time. It was about like six months of writing it. It was just like the most time-consuming, head-banging process I've ever done for an, a project that big. When it came to marketing it, we just reached out to our email list and promoted it on social media and reached out to people featured in the ebook. You know, people really responded really well to it. They really liked the ebook and uh, we posted it on Product Hunt. So we just, you know, we've been doing this long-term game marketing strategy. And a lot of people think that like, whether it's a store launch or an ebook launch or a product launch, a lot of people think that the beginning is that the most important part, like the home run is that first couple weeks. But the reality is like marketing doesn't have to stop after two weeks. Like you can be marketing six months from now and it's still just as important or just as valuable. Like you don't have to do it all at once or anything like that. Like you could scale it and stretch it out a little bit as well. So what's next for you in Overlow in 2018? I would love to do like a case study. I think it'd be really cool. Uh, Tim Koch recently launched uh, a case study on the Oberlo blog. And I think it was about how he made $7,000 in about eight weeks. And he just shows the whole process. He breaks down all the steps on how he built a successful e-commerce business. And I think that'd be really fun to like show people that like, I actually do know what I'm doing. And like, I, I do build stores on the side. And I actually am doing what I say I do. I think it'd be a really cool process to kind of show people how to build a store and show people that what's possible in e commerce, like what you can achieve. Yeah, absolutely. And on that note, would you recommend the dropshipping model to other entrepreneurs or other other models people should explore? I feel like I have so much experience that I could probably like source products myself, but I just find that like the convenience of drop shipping just makes my life so much easier. I just find I have fewer headaches to deal with. I find that when it comes to like refund rates and stuff like that, like I find that like it's actually industry average. I think sometimes drop shipping gets a little bit of a bad rep, but like from my experience, it's all been positive. My businesses have been profitable. The customer complaints aren't that bad. I feel like it's like the standard way to run a business. And I feel like the convenience of having an automated business online is just having a one-click button to process orders. Like It's so, I want to say easy. I don't want to make it sound like it's the easiest thing in the world, but it's just so much easier than like having to do these really complicated businesses, outsourcing products and finding suppliers and hoping for the best and, you know, bulk inventory and then, you know, risking not selling out your inventory. You know, I feel like dropshipping is very like, it's a good way to start a business. And I just find that it's probably like the lowest risk for starting a business. I just find that like for me personally, it's been one of the smartest decisions I've ever made in business. 
And you touched on a little bit in there, but I think a lot of folks might still be intimidated about starting a dropshipping business, even now, even with all the resources. So based on your experience or insights, what's the biggest misconception about starting a dropshipping business? The fact that like you do, like you're running a business, like you need to treat it like a business. Like you can't just think that like you're going to make a million dollars off your first Facebook ad just because you created a Facebook ad. Like there's a lot of experimentation that comes into it. And I think that like, if you look at drop shipping or building a business, kind of like a game where you're like, I wonder what will happen if I try this targeting option, or I wonder what will happen if I do this, or I try that, or if I market this way, or I reach this influencer. If you look at it like a game, like with curiosity, like lenses, like I wonder what will happen if, or you know, what are the possibilities, or what can I learn from this experience? I think you have to be very experimental to like really like succeed in drop shipping. And I think that like if you're curious enough, you'll succeed over the long term. And I think you just need to be patient and experiment like don't be afraid to fail don't be afraid to make mistakes when i built my first facebook ad ever back in 2013 i literally got zero conversions and i started crying because i was so embarrassed i'm like oh my god i'm a marketer who can't create a facebook ad but then i started like reading articles online about making the the ad red and all these like little gimmicky stuff back in those days and so my second ad i created like a an ad with a red sports car and i ended up converting it like four cents a click it was like the best converting ad i ever created at the time and i was like so proud of myself you know what i mean like just because you fail on your first ad or just because you make a mistake that first time or you have your first refund like it's not the end of the battle it's not the end of the race you're there's still so much to learn there's still so many ways to grow and i think just like being patient and being okay with experimentation like you'll you'll learn so much faster than like any job you'll ever have <laughs> definitely agree so you've mentioned a few different tools and resources along the way but are there any others that you would recommend there's a lot of good case studies out there. Corey Ferreira, my partner, he uh, he wrote a case study called Sight Glasses on the Shopify blog. Tim Cox case study, you should definitely check out as well. Like there's a lot of good case studies out there where you can like literally see and follow in the footsteps of like another store that succeeded. What were their targeting options? Like how did they choose to market their business? How, what products did they choose to sell? And like kind of like angling it that way, like kind of thinking like, you know, what should I be selling? Like how should I be selling it? What types of things convert best. And I think like kind of looking at what people have done successfully will really help people succeed in those early days. Absolutely. So we've discussed a ton of different things about dropshipping throughout the course of the episode, but do you have any final thoughts or words of advice to leave us with? Get started. You know, like I think a lot of people, they daydream in their heads so much. Like they, they, they imagine what it would, it would be like, like, oh, I'm going to make so much money and all this stuff. But like when it comes down to it, like they try a free trial and then they get scared or like they don't get their first sale on the first day and they kind of like panic or like they don't think they're cut out for it. If you just start building and you take it one day at a time and you just take those baby steps, maybe today you add 10 products to your store. Maybe tomorrow you're writing product descriptions for those 10 products. Maybe the day after that you create your first Facebook ad. Maybe the day after that you reach out to an influencer. Like, you know, it's okay to take baby steps. It's okay to do things one day at a time. A lot of people have nine to five jobs. A lot of people have, you know, families that they have to take care of. And it doesn't have to be like a home run on the first day. You don't have to do everything at once. You can build up slowly and try to grow your business that way. It's okay to take your time to build something. It's okay to be patient with it. Yeah, I couldn't think of a better way to end the episode. Nicole, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us today. It was amazing to have you on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Commerce Growth Lab is recorded and produced by me. There's no massive team behind it, and so I'd love your help in growing the show. 
If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend about the show or share a link on social media. You can find out more about the show, our guests, and everything commerce related by visiting our site at www.commercegrowthlab.com. Follow us on Twitter at commgrowthlab, that's com with two M's, or join the community on Facebook at Commerce Growth Lab. We couldn't do the show without your awesome support, so thanks for listening.